This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Zach. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans just like you. In this issue, Movie Madness with the Avengers, the Suicide Squad and a shakeup in a galaxy far, far away, plus a phantom menace, God's among us, and we're fighting a bear, and your life's in great danger, and you don't even care. Plus, a chat with Dynamite Entertainment's Keith Davidson, whom I love from The Thing. It's a wide, wide world of nerdery, but we're here to help, like a nerd Greek chorus with a side of chili fries. Earth, air, fire, water, and Zach, united by your powers combined, the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to issue 623 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, sharing this podcast with a friend, and thank you, everyone. Who's a major spoilers VIP? Happy. Holy cow! Oh, I should give you a little update though. Oh, yeah. uh, some of you have been having some issues getting in and completing your uh, VIP checkout. This is not a major spoilers issue. This is actually a PayPal issue, and they're aware of that. I talked to them uh, just this week. Depending on when you're listening, hello, future people. It's not happening oh. to everybody. It's happening to random people, but they are working on it. And the only thing I can say at this point is keep trying or wait for another announcement when I say, "Hey, everybody, get in there." <laughs> but on that note. VIPs, there are, I, we are very close to hitting that 800 mark. We're like maybe 10 people away mm-hmm. from hitting 800. So uh, head over there, members.majorspoilers.com. Sign up, silver, gold, bronze, if you have to. Uh, <laughs> we're not, we're not poo-pooing the bronze. The no, bronze no, the bronze people are great. Well. I donate to a lot of podcasts. Yes, $2. I know. That's I know, yeah, $2 a month is great. Yeah. And if we can uh, reach our goals, that's even better. Um the uh, the thing that I will point out is once again, gold members, the silver oh. is catching up on you. You are Uh-oh. now less than five people, five VIPs separate the silver and gold. Where three weeks ago it was like twenty five people. And I don't think the silver, silver should ever be on equal par as gold because gold Pokemon was so much better than silver. All right, well, the legendary VIPs, Pokemon, listeners, just new people who have been sitting on the fence about. Uh, kicking it up there. I th- I'm trying to work something out. I've, I can't talk about it. I, I just can't talk about it. But Secrets! It's been definitely going to benefit uh, silver and also gold members. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. A little something. Birthday something. coming up very soon. Hey, let us, uh, speaking of things that are coming up very soon, soon, we've got this Suicide Squad movie that's coming out very soon. Yes. And Ooh. David Ayer, who is the director, has been tweeting, mirac- I mean, just surprisingly, just dropping major things. We saw the Jared Leto Joker image last week came from mm-hmm. his Twitter feed. Yep. And then this week we got a full cast reveal as well as a dead shot reveal we did. of the uh, complete cast in costume. Did you guys get a chance to look at that? Oh, yes. I did. What'd you think? Um, I think that I don't like to judge things by a single image. <laughs> oh, please. I, Come on, Matthew. I, I really don't. <laughs> I've said this before, but I didn't, I don't, I'm not excited by that image necessarily because a lot of the characters 
are kind of gray and dingy and it's very dark. And yeah, I kind of like the fact that Margot Robbie is in a Harley Quinn suit and looks a little bit like uh, Britta from Community. And I like the the uh, reveal of the Deadshot uniform. Yeah, yeah. But the rest of it, that image isn't really exciting. Well, and so here's the thing, too. We've also got another image up on the site or another article up on the site that takes a look at Margot uh, Robbie uh, a yeah. little bit more in detail from some behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, it looks like in the photo that was released by Air, you know, her uh, her shorts look more black and they're actually kind of a sparkly blue. And so mm-hmm. that's something that's not showing up. And in fact, a lot of people over the last, uh, I don't know, since last uh, San Diego Comic-Con, when they revealed all of the costumes for uh, Wonder Woman, Batman and Superman, it's like, why does everything look so dark? Uh, you know, the Wonder Woman costume, people complain about saying, oh, there's no color in there. And really, in reality, there's a lot of color in that costume. I mean, it is red, blue, and it's got the gold lasso and all of that stuff um in some costume reveals that they showed so there's a little bit i mean if you were to brighten this up a little bit it's a little bit more revealing but i mean uh, captain boomerang's got his uh under his uh blue uh duster or black duster he's got a blue costume on killer croc um looks green and scaly uh el diablo doesn't look like an el diablo i remember from comics but okay I've never uh, seen that. I LDL. think Croc look in some of those behind of the ones with Harley, you get a better look at Croc and he looks more scaly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the the Harley picture um with Croc in it actually makes me think that Croc looks a little bit better than I thought. Who's the feller on the far right in the uh, So left to right in the left to right, that's El Diablo. Okay. Left to right we have Slipknot, uh-huh. Captain Boomerang, Enchantress, right. which looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um Everyone's still calling her Plastique, but she sure looks a heck of a lot like Katana to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rick Flagg, Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Killer Croc, and El Diablo. Mm. I really oh. like the Deadshot mask. And I'm saying this, I've never read any of these people in comics before. Yeah. But I really like the look of that mask. But you know that's going to be a two-scene max with Will Smith <laughs> having his face covered. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, don't, no. they don't leave You'll never mask, have that on. Yeah, no, I, ne- you don't leave your mask. I, I, you know, notice that the Joker's not in this. Yeah, you need to believe that he's not a part of the Suicide Squad, like I've been saying all this, all this time. Or mm-hmm. that there really is something different with this costume, and just letting us all <laughs> squander and yell about this last <laughs> thing they showed. And that's the thing. I mean, the the reason they release these is so that we can all start, you know, squabbling and yelling and and really feeding into it because buzz is buzz. And if people mm-hmm. are like, oh my god, the, what's this about? The best part about this. Welcome to Belle Reve. Yeah, I do like that. What's That's, that? That is the prison in the uh, in the uh, DC universe where the all Lu- of these guys are housed. Where it's a maximum security prison in the uh, Louisiana Bayou. Yeah, for oh, cool. for all the supervillains, and and depending on which way you look at this, um, either that is where they're housed by uh, Task Force S- X uh, when they become you know when they get uh, pulled in, or it's just the maximum security prison for all the uh, the DCU wackos. So mm-hmm. it could go a That's lot funny. of different ways. There's several of them, yeah. But. And I also like that Air specifically in his tweet said, Task Force X assembled and ready, hashtag Suicide Squad. Mm. So, you know, they're keeping with that with <laughs> that Task Force X uh, name instead of just saying Suicide Squad. Well, Suicide Squad is That's a terrible kind of, that, Well, Suicide Squad is the, the team's name for themselves, right? Isn't that, right. Uh, didn't Digger come up with that at one point? He's like, you know, this isn't uh, something we're getting out of. This is suicide or something along those lines. Rick Flagg was part of an earlier Suicide Squad during the Silver Age of comics, or mm-hmm. Rick Flagg's dad, rather. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 
Uh, and I do like the nods to continuity. I do like the fact that it does look like the Marshall Rogers mask and there's red in the costume. Uh, you know, I, it's not that I'm not interested. I'm not like uh, run rush right out into buying frenzy interested. And I will say uh, kudos to you, Stephen. the version that we have on major spoilers has better color than the version that I keep seeing passed around on Twitter. Which one? The uh, team photo? The team photo. Yeah, I don't there, know was a, you... there was a high-res photo that popped up somewhere that mm-hmm. I found and popped that in. And so that gives you a much better look and I think has much better colors. If you yeah. look at the Margot Robbie article, uh, notice that she also has tattoos all up and down her legs, which mm-hmm. I found very interesting. And to me, she looks more like Roller Girl from uh, Boogie Nights mm-hmm. than... than um, but again, Rita. you know, she doesn't look like she doesn't look like what people are saying in the Arkham series, although I think she also looks like a lot. You know, there's there's bits and pieces of the design taken from the Arkham video game series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, who posted this, this behind the scenes stuff, had said that um, Amanda Connor was real happy that it appears that they're using parts of her design in this as well. Yeah, they are. Uh, you can I mean, you can see it in the shorts. You can see it in the collar and the. The pigtail things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot so, of this is related to the redesign and that she did for the new fitty too. Until I saw the uh, until I saw the whole team, I was not really getting sold on Suicide Squad. I was just like, oh, this is a quick one off to just get it out there and get it done. But if this is assembling to be a really good team movie, mm-hmm. then I'm starting to get a little bit excited about this. I mean, people ought to know right now if they're like, is this going to be funny? Is this going to be lighthearted? It's the Suicide Squad. <laughs> they are people who are tasked. They are they are criminals who are are put in these missions that they are not expected to escape from. Right. And if they succeed, they will get uh, time taken off their sentence, and sometimes, in some cases, have their their sentence completely um, revoked or whatever. But yeah. at the same time, if they're not on mission, there are bombs planted in their heads, and those bombs will mm-hmm. go off. Uh, yeah, again, I, I, I hate Slipknot not going to make it out of this. Well, movie. OK, so here's the thing. Slipknot was the one that I was like, uh, OK, he's not been a character that's been around since 1972 or something. Who knows when the last time he showed up? Slipknot had his arm blown off in the original Suicide Squad oh, okay. run in 85. I hate going back to that Arkham uh, assault on Arkham uh, animated show movie. No, you don't. DC You've been doing out. it all month. I know, but that's the thing. <laughs> At the very beginning. They have KG Beast uh, is going to be a member of the team and they wake up and Waller is like, OK, you're all part of this. And if you don't like it, then you can walk out the door. But be aware that there's a bomb planted in your head. And she walks away and the door to the cells open and KG Beast is like, Duh, she's lying. I'm leaving. And he walks out and his head blows off off on screen. So I'm betting one of these people are going to have something blow up. That was uh, just to convince everybody in the post legends, uh, suicide squad book slipknot was like, I'm going to run away. Derpy derp. And at the time it wasn't your head. It was a, a bracelet. Slipknot had his arm blown off. Ah, well, there you go. Just then. to prove how serious Amanda mm. Waller was. So slipknot ain't going to make it out of this alive. He's a, he's a two shot firestorm villain. Yeah. 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 He going to die. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, going back to like the humor of it. I think that's something that's going to come against it because the only big team up superhero movie we've seen so far is and Avengers. It's gonna, and won't it be out before Justice League, the first uh, Batman v Superman? Probably. That comes out in next year, right? May. Yeah. Batman v Superman. Yeah. 
No, I, I think, think this comes under- out in July oh, or something. Okay. okay. Right. I think you underestimate though people's love of of black humor in their Oh, well, I, is I'm there going to yeah. be black humor? That's, that's the only thing. If there's going to be humor, that's the type of humor that would right, be perfect for. Right, which I love and I think a lot of people enjoy, but if they just do it straight action shoot 'em up bad guy movie, they don't, have, they don't there's no prerequisite there has to be humor in this no I but think i think so, with harley quinn i think with harley oh, quinn, you i guess would expect at least some kind of hacky jokes or something that's true um Walk to be walker. thrown in there and you know i expect will smith to kind of overreact to a lot of stuff welcome to earth it's <laughs> gonna be will smith i, I don't know i i have not seen have you seen focus have you seen that movie yet it's up on the no, itunes and then has, order it's, and it's, it's got, him and margo yeah it, it does yeah. and i i'm kind of now interested in seeing how they play off each other because that should give you kind of an indication of kind of how their screen chemistry would be in this upcoming trailer movie. looked like there was a lot of chemistry, but that was a two yeah, minute trailer. I know. I know. <laughs> so I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested in suicide squad. I really am. And I think people going in should know that not everybody's going to make it out. Oh, I, I think I, mean, all I horribly. I mean, this is one of those things where sevens a lot. How and many, how many people are in that team? Nine, nine members. There's nine on that screen. I think four of nine, them. Nine go in, candy. nine go in, six come out is my, is my thing. I say five. Enchantress okay. is doomed. Yeah, I think I think Slipknot is doomed. The over and under on Captain Boomerang and Croc could go either way. I think Cro- five gives you an, a good number to do a sequel with. Yeah, but see, the problem is you bring in new every, guys. Everybody see? that we've mentioned are played by the the minorities. Well, except for for uh, Boomerang. I think Boomerang and Deadshot and Harley are really the only ones who are definite no-kills. I think Killer Croc is a no-kill. And Rick Flag. I don't know about Croc. Croc is, I mean, Croc is Croc. Croc is like the lizard. You can can make a new I hit him with a rock. You're going to kill Deadshot and take Will Smith out? There's no no way. No way. That's what I'm saying. He's your your big star. Well, this is is the thing. They could kill Deadshot and shock us. They could kill Will Smith and shock us. But they will not kill a dead shot played by Will Smith and Shockus. That's too much shock. So I, I think that. And Killer what if Croc there's a surprise? Maybe. What if there's a surprise uh, guest starring role by Shaka Khan? Then we're going to be triple shocked. <laughs> I'm going to let you what have if, that. One. What if Shaka Khan was shocking some corn? What? If, <laughs> what if Marvel and DC teamed up and Shaka Khan plays the shocker? <laughs> So she'd be shocker, shocker, con, shucking corn. Shocking. I know. Uh, if she is Katana, I'll say no to killing her. If she is Plastique, I'll say 60, 40. But, she, but the costume's Katana's costume. How could they go with Plastique? This is a movie. And the thing, we've said this before, when it comes to movies, you remember how Mark Hamill in the original Flash was the Joker because they didn't have a Joker? Yeah, yeah. You turn Plastique into basically a character like Katana who has something to prove. Eh, I think that's Katana. I do. Uh, so, do I. so do if I. They do, if they do something where they have Katana and it's clearly Katana and they call her Plastique, I will not be surprised. Yeah. Suicide Squad opens August 5th, 2016. It's being, of course, released by Warner Brothers, uh, written and directed by David Ayer and uh, John Ostrander is uh, also credited for the writing credit. So why don't you look at is some that, John Ostrander. Is that Ostrander. a writing credit or is that a creative Well, from the from the comic books, but he's also getting, you know, the it says writing credit, but it also has nice. David Ayer and John Ostrander, parentheses, comic book, obviously creator of the of the characters, but that doesn't mean he may not be... Um, creator of the concept, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So the uh, the second 
we know that the uh, the first Star Wars spinoff movie is called Rogue One. Yes. And it's going right. to focus on that time period just before the start of episode four, mm-hmm. uh, where the rebels are stealing the plans for the Death Star mm-hmm. and getting them to a young Princess Leia. And right. then uh, the events of episode four begin. Interesting thing. There's some interesting things when you watch Star Wars as many times as I watch Star Wars. Even now, I'm surprised at information. Like, it wasn't until about a year or two ago where I suddenly realized, oh, Luke is about to become a member of the of the Empire. He wants to leave Tatooine so he can sign up for the for the Academy, the Imperial Academy. Mm-hmm. Right. How freaky is that? And then I was watching this again uh, this uh, couple of days ago on, on the lead up to Star Wars Day. And I had the sudden realization that Luke is 19 years old. They say that in the movie, which means from the time of the end of the Clone Wars to the start of now of the start of episode four. Only 19 years have passed. And for suddenly the Jedi religion to be called an old hokey religion, it's a little weird. And that would mean if Han Solo is 25, he would have been around during the Clone Wars. Of course, going to the Jedi thing, if you completely, almost entirely eradicate a thing. Oh yeah, you can discredit could, something could very jump, quickly. You could jump years. that to the twenty. I mean, years. what twenty years was it? Has it been twenty years since the wall came down? The Berlin Wall came down ninety five. More than that, yeah. So I mean, look at. I mean, you can look at the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union Union mm-hmm. is not what it was twenty years ago. Right. I mean, yeah. if you look at the world of nineteen ninety six, let's talk. What happened in nineteen ninety six? I think snow had a big. Oh yeah, hit. the internet uh, was formed or something. That's the thing. Nineteen ninety six really does seem like a long time ago. Bill Clinton yeah, yeah. was president. Uh, people enjoyed friends. Uh, <laughs> Did they? Y- yeah. Yes. You and I used to argue back and forth in a so- sort of antagonistic fraternal way. Uh, okay. So everything's different now. So here's the thing. Um, we now found out today what the story for the second spinoff movie is going to be. It's going to be a Boba Fett origin story. Which was long rumored. But I kind of have a problem with that because if you watch episode two and you oh. watch a lot of the Clone Wars animated series which are both canon Mm -hmm. they show most of boba's upbringing in episode two we see the death of the father and the revenge and we know that he's a clone that doesn't age rapidly like the rest of the clones do and then in the clone wars he has shown time and time again as a young child uh teaming up with various villains and put in situations where he has to kill or or, uh, not kill and and do some other things so in my mind we've kind of already seen the origin of boba fett right but let me ask you a question yeah. You still watching that Gotham show on Fox? Yeah, I finished watching that last night. Or today. Today or last night. I forget which one it was. The defense rests. I think they can get away with it because <laughs> we've been watching. Well, somebody has been watching that Gotham show, which is the backstory of the origins of Batman. When the origin of Batman has been told a lot, I think that there's a lot of things that you can do. Well, that, but there's that, a show is, that show is not necessarily the origin of, of Batman. And it's not like they're sticking to a strict canon. Right. The first yeah, scene of the movie, or the, the first scene of the show, is young Bruce Wayne's parents getting shot down. Did you watch and, the, did you watch the uh, final shots of, of Gotham, Matthew, for uh, this season? I haven't watched anything since we watched it for the show. I, I just wasn't interested. No. I think there's a lot of room, though, for extrapolation. There, there can be, but the only thing that they could do is the stuff of Boba after his teenage years, but before before he shows up in Empire. And guess what they're going to do? Is that what the, they said? Well, I, I mean, that, that, no, they haven't, about. but that's what, no, like Rogue One set in that time frame. Yeah, yeah. They'll just put Boba Fett in that time frame because, 
Uh, I haven't watched Clone Wars, but from mm-hmm. what you're saying is that gap of time would be a lot of his that's early the, bounding And I think that stories. a lot of this spinoff series stuff, that's where we're going to see a lot of these these stories. Right. But I, you know, I think if you if they go back and they're like, oh, well, my father was killed and they're redoing all of that stuff. Man, that's a lot of ground that's already getting retread. It's like watching that. Spider-Man. Unless they do a flashback. It's like doing a Spider-Man origin story again. No, they won't. But I don't I, they'll they be might. smart about it. I don't think they, they will. I think they'll do I, that time period. I, I that's my guess too. Christopher Nolan killed off the Waynes at the beginning of his Batman trilogy, even though it had only been ten years since we saw the Waynes killed. I mean, Batman origin is roughly the same as Boba Fett origin. And the oh, fact that Boba Fett is Batman, what? Breaking <laughs> no. news, ladies and gentlemen. Steven just got way more Oh my goodness. But we're gonna I can't wait yes, for that now scene. Now Steven wants to see I can't this wait movie. for that scene where uh Boba Fett and Han Solo show down with one another and uh Han's like, hey maybe we can talk this out and Boba's like, my father's dead I'm see, a this clone <laughs> pew 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 what if they reveal <laughs> that the Boba Fett we know from Empire isn't actually the Boba Fett from the prequels at all. What if it's actually his cousin Bob Fett? What if a clone killed Bubba and took his suit? You can tell an, tell. any number of stories because the well, thing about the prob- Boba the Fett, problem is, the only though, thing that most people know about Boba Fett is cool armor. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That no. is the general only public thing that most no, no, people yes. know about oh, Boba Fett. I, I guarantee you, no. Most people who have seen that movie know that Boba Fett's father was the bounty hunter. That's where he got his armor. Uh, that well, his father was killed, and, I he, would... and they called him Boba. And if in, and you know, more kids my son's age have watched the Clone Wars, uh, uh, the animated series, mm-hmm. and know that history of Boba. And and they and the other the other problem too is, as you kind of said, Zach, with the the Batman uh, movies, they're not tied to any previous canon, right? Mm-hmm. They can say, well, Bat, <laughs> you know, Bruce Wayne's Bruce Wayne's father's uh, parents are dead, mm-hmm. and he became Batman that way, but. Just like you said, Matthew and Gotham, they're not telling that same origin story of how all these characters came to be that is uh, that is tied into the Christopher Nolan movies or is tied into the uh, um, uh, the uh, what's his name's movies, the very first Batman movies. movies. Yeah, the Tim Burton movies. There's no connection between these movies in the George Lucas universe. Yes, they've done away with canon for a lot of the stuff outside of G canon, outside of the George Lucas canon. But the problem is they're still holding steady to the G canon as much as they can. Um, And so for them to change what's gone on in the Clone Wars, which they have said is canon, and things that went on in the movies is really going to screw with this idea of what they mean for canon. Who said anything about changing it? I mean, there are dozens of stories that could have happened with Boba Fett that we never saw. He is clearly a feared presence by the time of Empire, and his armor is all beat up, and everybody's like, oh, crap, Boba Fett, get out of the way. What gave him that crazy man-with-no-name reputation in you know the galaxy well, far Well, if he was away? a man-with-no-name, they wouldn't say, oh, crap, there's Boba Fett. That could be a really fun way that you described it, Matthew, because it well, would really play into the Western in yeah, space yeah. aspect. Yeah, yeah. You, no, do, if they, you do if a spaghetti did, Western with if they a did Boba that. Fett as Clint Eastwood. But see, the thing is, they wouldn't just have to do Boba Fett. If they really wanted to do something interesting, they would have Boba Fett as the featured character and seeing a lot more development. But there's like Bosk and IG-88. They'd do a bounty hunter team up. Dude, deep cuts. Dengar, no, deep cuts. That's what I want to see. I want to see the backstory (laughs) of Zuckus. What what made Zuckus uh, 
a freakish mutant with yeah. band-aids on his head. Yeah. Or wait, was Zuckus the one with band-aids? Is he the one that or he doesn't like Zuckus you very much? Or was the one with the big rubbery head? Is he the one that says, I don't like you very much? This or he doesn't it. like you very much? Um, I don't either. Something we talked no. about after watching Avengers boy. was yeah. how <laughs> the creators have complained about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. screwing up, up their, their con yeah, continuity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Their toys. And yeah, if... Um, I, I don't know what the time set is between... Uh, Rogue One, this Boba Fett movie, and Star Wars Rebels. Right. But Rebels is set within that kind of same period with all the year, Jedi's were the gone. Year before. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder Jedi's if they'll back themselves into a corner with that show because that's still a well, 20 episode <laughs> season show. Uh, Rebels uh, has backed itself into the corner because they've already, well, you know, we've yeah. already proven, and here's a big spoiler I finally watched all the Rebels. Uh, there's at least two Jedi that we know that are alive, and possibly three Jedi. That are alive at the end of the uh, first season of Star Wars Rebels. What the heck? Well, in in addition to uh, Obi Wan and Yoda, right? Not counting those. No, no. Those but but one Kenan that, and then the little kid Kenan and the little kid, and then possibly another one, and then the other one, which she's on screen, and and everybody's wondered what happened to her after the end of Clone Wars. Key Adamundi. No, ah Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Oh, yeah. And she's much older. And it's like, whoa. Oh, that's right. That, that was one of the story threads that yeah, wasn't yeah. tied up. Was yeah. it? Oh man, I like the end of Rebels. Star Wars Rebels. So here's watch the first four episodes. Here's, but, okay, so it doesn't matter about Boba Fett. That's the story. That's the origin story. <laughs> Problem is, <laughs> they really can't get started with this movie until they find a new director. Yes, uh, Disney, that's true. Disney uh, and uh, Josh Trank both announced this week that Josh Trank, uh, that we know from the upcoming Fantastic Four movie and from uh, Chronicle, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. has uh, has decided to step down. And uh, then after that announcement, all sorts of things started coming out about why mm -hmm. he decided to step down. And uh, I guess, is it the writer or one of the producers of... Producer. Of, okay, so it's the producer of the uh, Boba Fett movie. Well, he's the producer of that, Rogue One, and Fantastic Four. Yeah, and, and yeah. also Fantastic Four. And work. I guess uh, Trank and he didn't get along on set. Mm -hmm. uh, Trank had a lot of issues um, controlling the direction of the film and being able to make decisions on the film. And I think it's probably... That led to them saying, well, if he's doing this, then maybe we shouldn't hire him as director. It's not a commentary on how Fantastic Four turns out, but I think mm -hmm. it is rather interesting to look at directors and see too much pressure put upon young directors too early on. How and old is Trank? I, never I don't know it how old he... Oh, uh, look it up really quick. Okay, I don't know like how old he is. He can't uh, be that old. No, he's he's not that old, but... If you look at his credits, he had like seven episodes of a television series. Mm -hmm. Then he went into Chronicle, which was a very independent film. It's like 12 million. Yeah. And then he was immediately given Fantastic Four with this pressure of this is a big deal for our studio. Don't screw this up. We I'm need certain. to relaunch the Fantastic Four franchise off of this. Don't screw this up. And I think the pressure just got to him, to Josh, be honest with you, on, on the Fantastic Four movie. It's possible. Josh Trank is 31 years old. Well, the fact that everybody is calling the Fantastic Four movie a failure before it's even out. Oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm excited about this. Some Fantastic people Four are. Movie. I don't. I think there's a lot. I think a lot of people are saying that because uh, it's the internet plus all the reshoots they've done. Yeah, they've had a lot of reshoots. We don't know the extent. So they just did a months. reshoot at the yeah, end like, of April. Like, yeah, like just a couple last weeks week, ago. Yeah. They just did a three day reshoot. And um, so that certainly is not something you hear a lot about with films. Well, At least they hide it better, maybe. I, I know that there are times where, you know, you're working on a job and mm -hmm. and um, suddenly one of the people that was working on a previous job was like, oh, I've got some major concerns about this person. Here's what happened. 
And as a Disney exec, I can say, whoa, this, this Star Wars stuff is a, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And we can't afford this kind of handholding or babysitting or stuff that we have to do. We better get somebody else that's in there. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people might say, well, you know, Steven Spielberg directed a couple of episodes of, uh, of, uh, night TV, yeah, night. He did, uh, TV shows. He did the first uh, pilot episode of Columbo. And then he went and did that, uh, independent, uh, film, the TV film about the, uh, truck duel duel. And then he went on and did an independent film. And then the next thing you know, he's doing jaws. Yeah, you're right. But that's a lot of pride. That's a lot more. But here's the thing. Jaws was not going to be a big blockbuster for the studio. And Jaws studio had a was, lot of issues. Jaws had a lot under, of issues. Under but, budget and everything. but people were just like, yeah, this is a Jaws movie. Who cares? People forget that Jaws started the blockbuster. So before Jaws, there was no there was no blockbuster. There was no pressure for that movie to uh for the tent pole for the studio to ride all of its future movies on the success or failure of this one movie. So mm-hmm. there wasn't maybe as much pressure on Spielberg for that. Mm. Um, and so I don't know. I just, I, I don't have a problem with Josh Trank. I like Chronicle a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very interested in seeing fantastic four, but I, I think maybe there was just, I mean, it was maybe just too much pressure and mm-hmm. I can see myself just sitting there going, Holy crap, the fate of the studio, not the fate of the studio, but you know, there's a lot riding on, this movie that they are pressuring me to do. Mm-hmm. And I could see cracking. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, who's, who's the director? Fantastic Four is not a small, that's a multi, what, I can't imagine, it's probably, what, $130 million oh, it's $150 budget. Oh, easy. Budget for that film, so you're jumping tenfold, essentially, with the budget. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be nerve-wracking, well, especially when Fox is like, this has yeah. to be big. They already announced a sequel for it. Yes. Which could play into a lot of the reshoots, by the way. Could. If you guys want a, a kind of a, not just my opinion on this, but this kind of helped feed into my opinion on why uh, Trank uh, stepped down, go check out. I, I believe it was one of the Nerdist episodes with uh, director Joe Lynch, who is the director of the Knights of Bad Aston, which was this direct video movie about uh, uh, LARPers uh, and uh, demons and all this stuff. Yeah, and Dinklage it's, in it. It's got Dinklage. It's got. Um, uh, Sean Cook, Peter Dinklage, uh, what's her name? Summer Glau is in there as well. And he goes into detail, and it's an ultra-low budget. I think uh, originally it was budgeted at $10 million and then it dropped significantly from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he goes into, there were times where he was in his trailer just you know popping pills trying to cope with the stress and the, stress and the pressure that was being put on him for this one movie. And it's a fascinating, go to listen to that. I mean, just from a director director's story of where he came from having having to work in the porn industry and then moving up it's a fantastic interview go look his name is joe lynch and it was on the nerdist podcast uh which is a podcast that i just love um so i don't know it, 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 who who then would you tap then to to uh, fill in for josh Ooh, trank that's interesting you're looking. Ryan Johnson's already locked yep, up for one of his done. films yep. which has been my pick for all of the stuff yeah, for a long movies. time yeah um, who's doing Rogue One? I forget. Uh, Gareth Edwards. Yeah, Gareth Edwards is doing Rogue One. Who do I pick to do? Oh, oh God! It. Hold on, stall. I know who it is. I know who I want to do who, it. Who would you, Matthew? While while Zach is rapidly wow. flipping through his iPhone. Uh, I don't know. I would want. I'm uh, not enough of a director, dude, to say. For really, sure. Chad Stalesky. He what did. He, done? he did uh, John Wick. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did John Wick? This that last was a surprisingly year. good movie. It was. It was very surprising. What's the uh, What's the guy that did the? Um, he's done a lot of the music videos. Uh, he did that uh, Power Rangers fan film. Oh. Piece. Oh God! I, I follow him on Twitter. I just saw a yeah, bunch so of his, bunch of tweets, and he today. was going off on a bunch of stuff. Uh, um, crap it. That's who um, I would. I would think that would be very interesting to see him. That would be interesting. Uh, take that on. Let me find his his name really quick. Who uh, else is doing something fun right now? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a hard thing because you got to think of now that there's a because at first we were like, oh, who's going to direct Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. Directing Star Wars, you have no idea what's coming. You just think the next Star Wars movie. Who's the person who could handle that and tell a good story? But now we know it's Boba Fett, so right. you could kind of narrow down who you think would be really fun mm-hmm. uh, to do something like that. Uh, Joseph Kahn is who I'm thinking oh, of. Oh, Kahn, yeah. Uh, I think he he might be really interesting. I just I don't I, I say the director from John Wick because that's the only thing I've seen recently with a lot of shooting and stuff uh-huh. mm-hmm. that kind of fits into oh. that Boba Fett mold. That would be. Like a direct correlation. You know who else? Have you ever seen the Raid Redemption? Have you seen? No, I was just thinking that though. I haven't seen it yet. But oh, that's Gareth, Gareth Evans is the uh, the director on that one. Oh, so we have, well, that would be too confusing. Yeah, that might we can't be. do that. No, you can't. <laughs> uh, but the action in that movie, Matthew. I don't know if you've seen the Raid Redemption. No, I'm not a big fan of of uh, bloody violence, but this is well choreographed bloody violence. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a video game. It's basically battle your way to the big boss. Yeah, interesting. You know what? Tarantino could probably do a super badass Boba Fett. Well, movie. if you were talking about your bounty hunter or spaghetti western, yeah. I wonder when we're going to mm-hmm. find that out. The new oh, director, probably yeah, once yeah. they make it. Comic Con. You think that late? <laughs> well, this one's not supposed to come out until like 2018. I bet we find out before then. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great, though. Next week. I, it could be. You know, whenever, um, whenever the Wonder Woman uh, directing uh, director left, two days later, they had her replacement announced. So I'm going to bet we find out fairly soon. They might have uh, had her, director, her replacement announced before they actually fired her. Eh, maybe. Now, that's just my paranoia from working in a call center that many years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, starting uh, next week, everybody, we're going to have a brand new person on the show. Um, oh, yeah, his, uh, name, his name is Wathew. Yes. He's, he's Matthew's he's, evil he's, brother who wears a yellow hat. Uh, people have been asking about our thoughts on the Avengers movie. You can go check out Zach on film where uh, Rob... Rodrigo, Zach, and I sat down. We watched the movie and had a very in-depth discussion over Avengers Age of Ultron. Yes, right after it was finished. Yes, right after it was finished. I, I like that a lot, and it looks like a lot of people have been very happy that we did it. We didn't wait on that yeah, one, too. Because then that way it's fresh in people's minds. Oh, fresh. Fresh. We'll have more of those as the uh, Zach on Film <laughs> Summer Movie Special continues. What's up next? Not San, uh, is it San Andreas, or what no, is next week? Mad Max oh, or Mad Pitch Max. Perfect 2. Mad Max. Mad yeah, Max. Uh, coming up in just a little bit, ladies and gentlemen, there is an interview with Dynamite Entertainment's Keith Davidson. He is the um, uh, managing marketing manager uh, for Dynamite. He also is the writer behind the Reanimator series that's currently going on at Dynamite. Matthew and I had a chance to review that first book 
uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago on the, on the Dueling Review podcast. And if you're not familiar with Dueling Reviews, it's a show where Matthew and I sit down with one comic book and we go into it in detail. This week, we're looking at Wonder Woman 77. <laughs> so you're yeah. going to want to look for that coming up later in the uh, Major Spoilers uh, Podcast Network Master Feed. And, uh, but uh, this interview coming up with uh, Keith Davison is kind of a real interesting, taking a look at uh, some of the uh, books that, that Dynamite publishes, as well as talking a little bit about H.P. Lovecraft and uh, taking Herbert West and putting him into a modern setting. So uh, check, stick around for that. Uh, Wasn't but he first, also the voice of Goliath on uh, No, that's somebody else. Uh, but first, let us get into some reviews. So this week, I've had this book sitting around for a couple of weeks now, and I've been wanting to review it, but I keep... It keeps slipping my mind, but it's a series that I've it is it's a series that I have reviewed before on the Major Spoilers podcast and elsewhere. Uh, this is William Shakespeare's The Phantom Menace. Speaking of Star Wars, oh, yeah. <laughs> my God, I love this series. The series is by Ian Dosher, I think is how you say his name. But this is not D O E S C H E R. Dosher, Dacher. Yeah, the thing that this guy. It's not just a parody. It's really an homage to what William Shakespeare can do. And it's told very, very well. What fascinates me about this version, and if you're looking for a book to buy, if you picked up any of the other Star Wars books that he's done, he's already done New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return Mm -hmm. of the Jedi. Jar Jar Binks (laughs) gets totally redeemed in this book. And let me tell you why. Enter Jar Jar Binks. I'm not going to go in the whole Elizabethan uh, pronunciation. But here's Jar Jar Binks. Here's Jar Jar Binks. Scene three on the planet Naboo. Jar Jar says, A man approacheth clothed in Jedi garb. Be like this man brings aid unto Naboo, such as will help help, uh, my people and my land. Mayhap this is the chance I've desired. For I've wondered these many months, uh, thinking over the planet's dreary fate. Two peoples separated by their fear and prejudice, which ere doth make us shirk from giving help to each other. Aye, it may be that the only hope for us to be untied is to real, or I'm sorry, to be united is to realize <laughs> that our two fates are tightly knit as one. Perchance this Jedi, followed by these droids, doth bring the words to break our deep mistrust. I shall make introductions in my way, portray the part that I've learned so well. It doth befit the human prejudice to think we Gungan people simple, low, and rude. I shall approach him thusly, and shall bend him to the path that shall assist us all. Put on thy simple wits now, Jar Jar Binks. Mm -hmm. Thus play the role of the clown to stoke his pride. Oh, moi, moi, I so ivy. (laughs) Thou brainless knave, almost thou killed us both. I speaky, speaky, look at me, me. And then he has asides throughout the rest of the play where he's addressing the audience as these idiots. These, uh, he, he even says, me human language and my prophet aunt is I know uh, how to move your human heart. So I shall speak most like a Gungan plain and thus disarm you by a fool's deceit. Nay, nay, why, sir? Oh, Misa, stay. Oh, Misa called Jar Jar Binksy. Now Misa is your servant humble. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant in how they take Jar Jar. I can't wait to see what he does when he becomes a senator because um, that right there, this scene where he's like, oh, I'm going to use these Jedis and I'm going to make them do what I want them to do. And I'm going to play a stupid (laughs) ignorant because they think that Gungans, they're prejudiced fools. And we're going to I'm going to make them think that 
that that's, you know, follow along with that so that they do what I want them to do. But it's a now, brilliant, it's a brilliant <laughs> twist on Jar Jar Binks. And yeah, for that reason, that, doesn't that make the episode three revelation that he's the one who puts forth the thing about uh, Palpatine becoming the emperor? Well, we haven't, that one's not out yet. So that's what I'm curious to see, right? Oh my God. What if he turns evil? What if he's Darth well, Binks? He has been, he has been influenced by, my thinking is that he was influenced by Palpatine. Palpatine used the force on him. Because he knew how smart he was. He knew how smart he was. For 15 bucks, ladies and gentlemen, William Shakespeare's The Phantom Menace is <laughs> great. And you should get the other three books as well. I love this. And if you remember, uh, what's his name? Uh, that was uh, Anakin's employer. Sabol- not Sabol- uh, Watto. Um, Watto. Watto. Yeah. Oh, my God. Watto's lines are just as crazy. <laughs> For 15 bucks, it is thus worth the price. The, it is, it is the worth the price. Stephen says you must rush out and That buy. cover art is awesome, The too. cover art is awesome. I mean, price of mission, 15 bucks for this. It is how many pages? It's uh, a lot of pages. Oh, let's see. What do we got here? There's an afterword. Uh, I'm going to say 57 pages. 168 pages for the whole thing. Wow. And it's, and it's done up just like a, it's done up just like a Shakespeare play. It's great. Mace Windu is great. Yet who has destroyed the shaft? The master or apprentice? None can say. Oh, it's great stuff, man. (laughs) Oh, I would love to see the Royal Shakespeare theater perform this. (laughs) (laughs) So good. This is, this is definitely a five out of five slices of meatloaf. (laughs) Um, and the thing too is don't, I think too many people try to get caught up in the rhyme and the meter. And, uh, I, I say just read it with the punctuation where it's supposed to be, you know, don't end at the end of the line, which is what a lot of people do. Just keep reading it. And it's all so good. (laughs) So, so good. Just read it like it were made of English. (laughs) <laughs> well, but see, the problem is too many people get caught up with the, the, the rhyme. And that's where it, this fails, because if you just read it with the punctuation, just read it as a line break. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Shakespeare is so good. The rhythm of the words we speak is such. Right. The rhythm is going to move you. Things can be confused. The rhythm is going to move you. Oh, baby. <laughs> the rhythm no, is that going is to not, move you. That is not iambic pentameter. That is, in fact, four, four time. The rhythm is going to move you. The rhythm is going to get you. No, no, no. You must, by rhythm, thus in such be moved. The rhythm is going to get you. It does and not speaking work of that you, way, my friend, Stephen. And, and speaking of you, Matthew, let yes. us uh, get to your review of The Wicked and Divine number 10 out this week, I believe, from Image The Wicked Comics. and Divine is out this week. <laughs> I have a review of it, you see. And I totally effed it up. So I'm just going to, we're going to slide right past Wicked and Divine number 10. The Wicked plus The Divine, for those of you who are feeling pedantic. And uh, I'm going to go, and, and I'm going to say right up front, I am really, really, really like this book. I've liked this book since the first issue. And we're getting into the second part of the arc. So far, it's been about revelations and revealing who the 12 reincarnated quote-unquote gods are. There was a point where one of them was framed for murder. Then she was, in fact, murdered. And there's now an expectation that someone is operating trying to kill one of them because the theory is that if you kill one of the young gods, you then become one of them. All 12 have now been revealed, but it turns out that one of them is actually trying (laughs) to kill the others 
to steal their lives and expand his oh, life because, so of course, an Uber God. Right. Every 90 years they get reincarnated, but they only live for two years and then they're dead. He believes that if he can kill the others, then he can extend his own life. And by the way, super emo. And I kind of like the super emo guy. I have to admit it. Um, Is that his name? Super emo? No, his name is Baphomet. Oh, okay. Or Baphomet, depending on how one pronounces it. I, I really don't know. But... This one is really good because we've been building and building and building and kind of world building and storytelling and doing little slice of life moments and introducing the characters slowly. And now we're really kind of getting into some conflict. Um, the main character for, I guess, our point of view character is uh, a woman whose name escapes me. So we're just going to move on past her. Right. But Laura, thank you. Uh, thank you, me. It's good. Yeah, hey, you're to welcome. Help. Yep, sure. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Okay, so Laura is starting to realize that something weird is up. She's a little bit upset that she wasn't the 12th god, and that's kind of been the buildup, is, is she going to be the 12th god? And the answer is, nope. And I really, really love that, by the way. She's hanging out with Inanna, who is one of the gods, the guys. I don't know what you want to call them. Calling them gods always just kind of disturbs me, and I understand why it disturbs me and why they did it for the story. But we're building up to the big Ragnarok with a C. Like rock. Yeah, like rock and roll, man. Rock and roll! Yes. But this whole buildup is actually something that we didn't notice. And it's telling us things behind the scenes because the 12th God actually turned out to be one of the minor characters who kept popping up throughout the first nine issues. Mm. As this issue ends, people are starting to realize that Baphomet is up to no good, but nobody really knows how to deal with it. And it has some really great character bits and of course the art is by jamie mckelvey and jamie mckelvey mckelvey is good yeah yeah yeah. good there's this beautiful shot of baphomet just leaping out of the sky in a jacket and leather pants and he looks kind of like jim morrison only with a flaming sword but i'm just (laughs) so pretty it's worth it to just read this and look at the pretty pretties but then you also have to go through it and read it again and actually read the story because it makes kieran gillen sad if you don't read the words I really like this issue, and the problem that I have is it's hard to review this book without giving away things that are important to this book. It feels well, like the solicitation every- says that Baphomet is is on the cover and he's the bad guy, right? And that he's covered in blood, but that's yeah. surely a miscommunication between the writer and the artist. Which maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. But as this issue ends, we get a very, very important piece of information. And a very, very ominous piece of information for Laura and one of the other gods, which I think is, you know, very important, too. I'm really kind of hooked on several of Image's ongoing books right now. And I can't really, you can't blame it on Image per se, because they're all creator-owned titles. So you can't say they've got a really great editorial group. and But I like the way the creators are allowed to go and do things that you would never get away with at one of the, you know, the huge, massive, shared universe crossover companies. And this book is an example of the kind of thing that you really can get away with because there's some, I mean, there's some aspects of superhero stories in here, but then there's things that remind me of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. There's a lot of stuff that feels very Vertigo, Mm -hmm. but then it also reminds me of their previous work. uh, Gillen and McKelvey did Phonogram for Image a few years ago. And Phonogram is just wacky, crazy, wild stuff 
that is so personal and so cool. You can't help but love it because they clearly put so much effort into this very personal story of guys who are rock and roll magicians. So I'm really liking this one, and I recommend this book, Three and a Half Slices of Meatloaf. It is not the best issue of Wicked and Divine. It is a very strong issue of Wicked and Divine. And it's kind of an in-between step to something which could be a massive, big, giant thing. I think I think Gillen said something about this one having at least 30 issues in his head. So, you know, we're at the point where we're into a big second arc and things are probably going to go all Empire Strikes Back Dark, which I think I'm, I'm down with. Cool. Excellent. Uh, oh, it looks like Rodrigo Lopez is here. Hey, guys. Hey, what's hey. going on, man? Oh, nothing much. Way to, way, done, to, way to kick the French Army's butt today, by the way, Rodrigo. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you guys yes. get out of Puebla. <laughs> How's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, you got, uh, you've uh, been doing some video game playing this past week? I, I have, and um, I've reviewed a lot of uh, kind of iOS games recently, and that's mostly because these are games that I've been following as, they've, as they're being created or, or announced. And then all of a sudden they all hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I heard about Bears versus Art. <laughs> I want to say more than two years, at least two years ago. Um, and I was like, I don't know what that game is about, but I have to have it. <laughs> uh, and as it turns out, what the game is about is uh, you play a bear that sneaks into museums and destroys pieces of art. So, it's not just a clever name. It's not. It's not uh, metaphorical for you know for for anything. Um, yeah. So uh, the the storyline is one that you may be familiar with. It's not. It's not like the most original one. Uh, basically, um, Rory the bear li- lives happily in the forest when suddenly a bunch of new museums get built and basically destroy his forest. Oh, man. Stupid so humans. He, he doesn't understand art or why there need to be museums for it, but he's mad about his forest, so now he sneaks into the museums and wrecks the art. Uh, this is by the same people who did uh, Fruit Ninja and oh. uh, Jetpack Joyride, Colossatron. Uh, oh, wow. So Halfbrick Studios, uh, if you're familiar with them. So yeah, this this game has uh, a strong pedigree, and um, and you can even see it in some of the stuff because uh, when you make it close to a painting, you get this screen where like the painting pops up, and then you can you basically drag your finger across your iPad or a mobile device because it's on Android as well um, to. Uh, and and that's the bear's claws, so you can like you go like meh, la, 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 like oh, yeah, scribble yeah. across it, and it like uh, claws the the art apart. Um, no, I cannot wait to see all the uh, the YouTube videos that spin out of this, like they did with Fruit Ninja. <laughs> yeah, so it's so this game is it's like a fun little thing. It's like oh ha ha, a bear sneaks in, but interestingly. Uh, they spend a lot of time making fun of art and kind of snooty art patrons and stuff like that. But interestingly, most of the pieces, some of the, like some of the pieces are parodies. So there's like a um, one of the pieces is is called the Roar, and it's the scream except the little cartoon bear protagonist is in it, right? 
Um, there's, I think there's one that's like that one with like the, um, I think it's like a Magritte with like, um, the guy with like the apple in front of his face. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's the bear. Mm -hmm. But the other ones are actually, I would say perfectly passable modern art pieces. They are in fact, the sort of thing that you could see at a museum. And I'm pretty sure they're original pieces. So weirdly this cute little game about destroying art, I think is actually has created some decent art in the process. Um, it's, 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 you know, cause when you get into the topic of, you know, what is art, it's like, can this game actually accidentally have created some pretty decent pieces? Um, so there's something that's highly philosophical for this game, uh, in which, by the way, you can dress up your bear and change its color. So mine uh, is currently a green bear wearing a football jersey and a fez. <laughs> I'm already um, I'm already playing level one here. So, yeah. um, the what I don't like about the game is that uh, it is a, an energy based game, um, oh. and yeah. So you run out of energy and the game is like, hey, how would you like to play this game some more? And then you can spend real, actual, real world money on continuing to play the game, which I'm not crazy about. Yeah, I'm not either. Now, normally like, the game does have its own in-game currency. So you can't, you could spend your coins that you're getting on that, but then you can't spend them on a Fez, uh, which is problematic. Uh, so... That is, I'm not crazy about it. Um, they're also not super cool about it. Like, um, for example, if you want to change the color of, say, your bear's uh, football jersey or uh, bunny ears, um, you have to uh, pay. Usually, and you can pay in-game money. That's kind of the point of that of the in-game money. Um, and then you wait, and then you see what color it turned. You don't get to pick which color it becomes. What the so heck? if you didn't, if you didn't like the color, then you have to do it again, which I find to be kind of an exploitation of the people who just want to dress up their bear. Like yeah. I would be okay with you just charging me to change the color, as long as I got to pick the color. Like it, that doesn't seem crazy. Um, no. Um, changing the color of the bear itself is also something that you actually pay real world money for but i was okay with doing it i played the game for a while and i was like you know this is the sort of game that i would pay five bucks for or something like that so i bought i bought my bear like the ability to change color which seemed fine obviously and that's and that's what i do right it's like i could get all these bonuses to actually make the game like easier or unlock things and i'm like no i want the ability to have a green bear yeah this whole uh You've got a certain number of moves to get to all the art, and if you don't, they want to charge you ninety nine cents to get more moves for that level. Right. Now, here's the, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm out. Here's the thing. Yep. Before you get all the way out, as you play, you can level up, and as you level up, leveling up doesn't cost you anything, right? And as you level up, you can get more moves, and you can get more energy. So, if you continue playing the game you have the opportunity to actually continue playing the game longer as you go. Um, that said, 
Um, obviously, it's the early stages of the game when you're going to be most excited to play. So it doesn't make a lot mm-hmm. like it, it. There's a there's some tension there and some legitimate tension. Um, all around, you know, it's it's a cute game, it's a charming game. I've been waiting a lot, a long time for it. I am turned off by the microtransaction um, stuff because I'm fine buying accessories for my character, but the way they're doing it isn't great. Um, if you look at a game like Jetpack Joyride, where all of the like the majority of that stuff is cosmetic, and people are more than happy to buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, um, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not, not crazy about it. So I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf out of five. I think it's a good, it's a good, solid time sink kind of game. And which is yeah. exactly what you want out of this type of game. But the, uh, the microtransaction stuff, uh, is, um, uncomfortable at best. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. All right, thanks, Rodrigo. Zach, what do you have for us this week? This week, I am reviewing Jupiter Circle number two, which comes out today, May 6th, from Image Comics. Is that I re- today? I need to pay my rent. It is. Um, I reviewed the last, uh, the first issue of this spinoff series from Jupiter's Legacy about a month ago, and yep. there's the second issue. Uh, pretty much, it wow. is just an ending. That's monthly comics. Right? It's a monthly comic, <laughs> baby. Uh, that's part of my slight problem with this book mm. because I thought from the way it was kind of presented to me when I uh, was talking about it last uh, month was that this was just going to be all about the character surrounding whatever the main character was right. in Jupiter's Legacy. And it has been, but I just assumed it would be you know like a six-issue mini or something like that and we just get a new character. Uh, each issue. Now we don't, which I did enjoy because I liked the character of uh, Blue Bolt uh, or Dr. Richard Conrad from the first uh, issue whose story seems to be pretty much wrapped up in this issue. And my only problem with that came that it didn't feel as um like the, the narrative story style of you know rising to the bending and then dropping off it felt right. like it just kept going from the ending of the first issue i know this just sounds like a really weird complaint cuz it's like oh it felt like the first issue and second issue flowed together really well and it ended <laughs> nicely but i got to the end of this issue and i go this would have been way better if the issue one and issue two would have been plumped together in one comic, oh, would yeah, have yeah. been 50-odd pages, yeah. and I would have paid $6 for it, and it would have been a really good story. It's still a good story, and it, I now that I'm saying it out loud and not just to myself after reading it on my computer, it sounds kind of strange, uh, but that was just my thought right when I finished it. Like This would be really good if it was 60 pages right together and read it. But that being said, it's still a really good ending to the story that started in issue one. Uh, again, I have not read Jeepers Legacy. I need to get to it because these two issues have sold me on uh, Miller's writing yeah. for that series, I yeah. guess. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know from the first issue that Blue Bolt 
his living this life of three secret identities of, uh, or not three secret identities, but three different identities of his doctor, Blue Bolt, and then also being secretly gay. And no one really knows about that. And that this issue kind of wraps up the storyline with Hoover coming after him and exploiting him to try to figure out who all the secret identities are of the people surrounding Jupiter's legacy and all the characters in there trying to exploit him that way. That all gets wrapped up really, really nicely. There is a, uh, as Blue Bolt's trying to figure out what to do while he's being blackmailed, he goes to the guy that sets him up on, uh, with, with different guys around the city. And he said, well, you know, there's this one uh, writer guy. He started a religion just like last week or something. He, he could uh, help you, but for the right price or something. Like, oh, Scientology Jeb. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of good uh, things in there with this book. I really enjoyed it, and I didn't know uh, what to expect going to that first issue, and I'm really glad I've stuck with it. Uh, it does seem that Blue Bolt's story will be wrapped up, and we should be moving on to a new character uh next month so i'm excited to read that art uh is great who did it i'll swipe unlock my ipad and let Uh, you know torres yep that's correct uh really nice there uh just really just i mean it's just solid nothing really to comment on it's just really really good to look at and uh really flows well throughout the issue uh so i enjoyed this one besides that weird complaint now that i vocalized it uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give this uh, uh four slices of meatloaf. All right, cool. Thank you, that Zach. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Rodrigo, and thank you, listeners. Uh, if you want to check out some more reviews, head over to majorspoilers.com. Lots of reviews over there, including all the uh, convergence reviews for this last month. More on that in just a moment. But while you're over there, if you're looking at maybe picking up a trade paperback, maybe if you're looking for this William Shakespeare's uh, Phantom Menace book, click on that Amazon link right there. <laughs> That'll take Can I you... just say what William Shakespeare's Phantom Man is? No, no, you're not allowed to. No, Sorry, I'm pretty sure not, I am. not not this week. You're not allowed to. It's there in your contract, page uh, 57, paragraph four. Uh, Man, yeah. ah, your lawyer should have. You. Your I lawyer. Didn't read my yes. Matthew, you're so lucky. Your contract <laughs> is so much longer than mine. Yeah, you're lucky. Yeah, uh, well, but while you're over there, pages of it are just you're stupid. Every <laughs> well, you signed it. Uh, <laughs> I uh, signed it as Sam. Uh, <laughs> so while you're over there at Amazon, just, you know, anything that you buy through that link over at Majorspoilers.com, a little percentage back comes back our way and allows us to do uh, shows, pay writers, pay podcast hosts and everybody, and uh, allows us to keep doing things week after week after week. And we appreciate your support. And uh, Amazon's been pretty good to us. So we're hoping that uh, you're getting a lot out of your Amazon purchases through there. Uh, I made some couple of big purchases this last couple of weeks. Oh, really? Some pretty cool things. We'll, we'll see those come up on. In fact, a lot of people have been pointing More secrets. out. You know, we talked about Love Letter uh, on the Munchkinland podcast a couple of weeks ago. Love and there's a Batman Love Letter uh, game. Interesting. And I'm hoping a lot of people are, are tweeting me saying, oh, look what I just bought. Look what I just bought. I'm hoping that they're using that Amazon link. And picking that up, because that's going to be a fun game. We'll be playing that on an upcoming episode of Munchkinland as well. Yay. In fact, one of our listeners sent us uh, version of the game to play. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so it's nice. Thank you, James. Uh, this uh, next segment is sponsored by Tweaked Audio. Tweaked Audio has... Oh, wait a minute. Forgot the major spoilers poll of the week. But uh, but Tweaked Audio anyway. Mm-hmm. A lot of styles, a lot of colors, all those different kind of cool things. I really say Tweaked Audio, get the ones with the microphone built in. I love these headphones. I think you will too. Head over to tweakedaudio.com and when you use the checkout code MAJOR on checkout... You're going to get 33% off the price. I mean, that's a bargain. I mean, where else can you get 
33% off of anything. Almost nowhere. Exactly almost nowhere. So why not use this offer at tweakedaudio.com, use the checkout code MAJOR, and thank Tweaked Audio for supporting the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, so again, uh, we are into, we've just wrapped up week four of uh, Convergence. Matthew, only four more weeks to go. Yeah, exactly. What was the book that everybody liked the most this past week? We asked you to uh, cast your vote over at Majorspoilers.com. What did we end up with, Matthew? Uh, right now, with 36 votes in the bag, and I may be behind, no, 28% right of people saying their favorite was Shazam, which yeah. was my favorite as well. Was it? Good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that was, one yet. Yeah, it was one of the things where the nostalgia was not only justified but justifiable. Mm-hmm. Plus, and this is the best part of it, most of the issue actually took place before anybody got their powers back. Well, that's what most of them kind of do, right? Yeah, but this one was weird because they're like, oh, no, what's going on? And Billy Batson, of oh. course, without powers is Billy yeah. Batson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, it was nice. I, I didn't really care. I mean, I was really hoping to like Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. This this month, but the problem is, and we've talked about this uh, last week. It's Earth Four pre crisis. I love Earth Four. I know, and uh, you're probably the only one of ten people <laughs> that are really into that time period. So it's really difficult to get into. Um, and again, it's kind of alienating newer readers. So unless they're you know 45 and older, they're probably going, "Who the heck are these people?" I mean, it's not a good indication for the books that only 38 people voted on a poll. Well, yeah. Yeah. So far, yeah. Well, and, you know, you're talking about 12 different books, too. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't read all of them. No, I didn't read all of them either, but um I don't know. If you guys could bring back any period in the DC universe, what time mm-hmm. period would you want to see DC bring back on a let's say semi semi regular basis? Ooh. Like maybe once a month you're getting Tales from this particular. Let universe. me answer that, first. Let me go. My answer is really good. Uh, I will go with the answer of the era I've read the most of. So uh, I'm going to choose the new Fifty Two. <laughs> okay. All right, Rodrigo. Um, tangent. Yeah, I like Tangent Universe a lot. Yeah, Matthew, <sighs> what about you? Ah, uh, the thirtieth century. Give me a decent Legion of Superheroes. Book. I know, but what period? Uh, pre-crisis, crisis, after the crisis. You know what before I really Before New want? 52, before I'll Countdown, tell before... I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Before what post was final, Post-Final well, Crisis, yeah. pre-Paul Levitt's ruining everything that Jeff John set up in Superman and the Legion of Superheroes circa 2007. So That's what I want to see. So, Mike, so kind of... So before Zero Hour or after Zero no. Hour? After Zero Hour, after they brought back the original Legion and yeah. re-unrebooted them... Yeah, the Archie Legion. And Jeff... No. When Jeff Johns brought back the original Legion with oh, Gary, oh. and they were with still Gary the, Frank, okay, and it was the old Legion only. It wasn't the old Legion yeah, because yeah, the crisis had never happened about. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they set up all these really cool plot lines, and Paul Levitz came in and went, "I don't like any of this," and then wrote us twelve issues of Earthman as a superhero. I want to see what would have happened if someone actually wrote stories based on the premise that they freaking set up for the mm-hmm. Legion. Mm-hmm. Before they put in Paul Levitz and he started doing love letters to his own 1980s work. I want to see have opinions about the Legion. I want to see um, post zero hour pre flashpoint. I know that's a, a big span there of about what, the 90 years. Yeah. But you want the nineties, but that's, I mean, you got a lot of really great stories and some, some long lasting characters like Cassandra Kane, Stephanie Brown, um, 
you know, the, the Tim Drakes uh, taking their rise. That, those, that's the era that I really like from, from DC. And, of course, it had Archie Legion in there, which was a big fan of. Um, it was also historically it was also, DC's lowest selling period ever in yeah, the history of the company. Yeah, it had Superman Red and Blue, had the death of Superman, all those kinds of things. But I think what came out of that up until Flashpoint, and that includes into the 2000s. So we're talking 20 years, not just the 90s. Um, but those were some really good some good character moments that had developed over the last uh, four or five years before, before Flashpoint happened. So what about maybe like the Morrison justice league, but not written by Morrison. (laughs) Morrison did a really good job with the justice league. I like the, uh, I like the roster a lot. I didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily like the storylines that much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listeners, you can head over to uh, Majorspoilers.com and you can cast your vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. A lot of discussion going on about uh, where Booster Gold fits in on all of this, especially that issue, which was, man, it's kind of like, Matthew, it's kind of like a um, post-in-game pre-convergence uh, issue. <laughs> it's, it's a weird placement to have it come out a month after the first book. I but I can, I, can under, I can understand why they did that, though. I heard that Booster is now his own grandpa. No. No, it's not quite that. It is the Booster from pre-Flashpoint is still around, and the new 52 Booster Gold is also around. So, you know, two time travelers uh, split in the forest, and I went with the one that was less traveled. <laughs> I heard that Booster is now his own daddy. Nope, nope, that's not it. That's not it. I heard the good news is that Secret Wars starts this week. Secret Wars I, starts this week. How many people are excited about Secret Wars? That Amos it. Moses was a Cajun who lived by himself in the swamp. That part may be true. We'll find out. Uh, so this week I had a chance to talk with uh, Keith Davidson, who is the uh, marketing manager for Dynamite Entertainment. And not the voice of Goliath. No. But um, this conversation that we had is very interesting because we go into a little bit about what does a marketing manager do. We talk about uh, the perception that Dynamite Entertainment focuses a lot on pulp properties. Um, That's somewhat justified, maybe not justified. You'll find out in the conversation. And then uh, Keith has also written the Reanimator series going on right now at Dynamite. So we talk a little bit about how do you get a writing gig when you're a marketing manager. So uh, take a listen to this interview. Keith Davidson, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I really appreciate it. You sure, uh, you said in one of our email exchanges that Tuesdays are an incredibly busy day for you. What what uh, what does the marketing manager at Dynamite Entertainment do on Tuesdays? That's that's so crazy. <laughs> what don't I do on Tuesdays? Uh, Tuesdays are um, actually it's kind of it's kind of a break from more of the marketing responsibilities on. On Tuesday for me, I, I kind of uh, I have I have a background in um, having worked at Diamond Comic Distributors in the past. Oh, okay. Um, I know I know a good deal about how to stock products at Diamond at Diamond Comics. So mm-hmm. um, I do a lot of uh, research and 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 other reporting that would end up resulting in, in, in products getting stocked at Diamond on Tuesdays. It all has to do with our print, uh, how we go to print with our comics and. Uh, it's all a lot of technical stuff. It's really boring, but, but yeah. 
<laughs> a lot of reporting on, on Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And and of course, then that reflects then on what gets shipped out from Diamond to the uh, to the other to the stores to the local comic book shops. And then, sure, yeah. Do, do you yeah. also work then closely with the local comic shops in promotions of of upcoming series? Uh, I, I handled that up until a certain point recently. Uh, I have an assistant who works on that kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. more often these days. Um, but uh, certainly, I mean, there's, I have a, I have a pretty good rapport with a lot of the retailers. Um, every year, I go to uh, the uh, Diamond Retailer Summit, mm-hmm. and I also go to Comics Pro. I know a lot of a lot of retailers by by name, and uh, and I, I actually love those retailer experiences because. Um, especially those two programs because hearing how very diverse all the different stores are, um, figuring out like their diversity, the kind of product that they carry, the kind of clientele that they have, the different kind of philosophies they have. It actually, the beginning of the year when, when we have the Commerce Pro meeting every, every, uh, February, I believe it's mm-hmm. either February or March. Um, it's almost like a, a reinvigorating, kind of uh experience i'm always i'm always thrilled to get back to the office and get back to work because of the interactions i have with retailers what are those what are some of the biggest things that you hear back from retailers retailers each year on on what they want from smaller publishers like dynamite uh or other other publishers out there um it's it, you know, it's actually kind of funny this year there and I, I think it may have been part of the whole groundswell for uh, either let's say family friendly or or female friendly comics. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a an initiative right now, or or sort of a hot topic right now in in uh, in the industry in general. So this year in particular, a lot of a lot of retailers seem to be voicing their opinions on you know what kind of content would would really uh, be the biggest draws for that kind of clientele. And and uh, um, it's funny because you know you. Dynamite has, we have titles which are uh, very, uh, very family friendly, very right. female friendly. And then we also have the things that perhaps may be a little more risque um, yeah. intentionally. And mm-hmm. so um, we don't, I don't think we necessarily want to ever apologize for having that, that kind of content. We just want to make sure that we have a diverse selection of products. So oh, that, sure, sure. Well, and, yeah. and it's, it's interesting because this week, kicks off the Swords of Sorrow uh, arc with Gail Simone and a lot of female creators on board. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that about that project? Sure, yeah. Um, Gail Simone, we, we actually had this plan for a while to do a an all-female character crossover um, featuring, a, featuring a number of the characters that Dynamite has uh, published over the years. The core three characters would be Vampirella, um, Deja Thoris, who, who's an important character from the John Carter and Warlord of Mars series, and uh, Red Sonia. Mm-hmm. And, but also, we wanted to bring in a lot of the other female characters from our universe. Uh, we kind of have a shared universe, and we kind of don't, so, um, but we've, we've never shied away from crossovers. But we waited for the longest time for the right moment to launch, the right creative team, and, and really... We had had such an, an immense success with uh, with Gail Simone taking over Red Zonia. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's she's done wonders for the title, um, and uh, I mean, people are just thrilled about her being on that book. And so we just asked her if she wanted to spearhead this whole giant uh, six month event that we're that we're uh, launching this this crossover event. So she's writing a core series of six issues. Um, mm-hmm. 
and it, and it brings in a lot of different characters. And then there's also um, a variety of different uh, spin-off titles, or I should say uh, tie-in titles, mm-hmm. uh, whether they be one-shots or, or small limited series, um, which uh, she has handpicked a, a, a variety of different female authors to uh, to write individual uh, chapters of those storylines. So it's an all-female character event and an all-female writing staff. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, well, I mean, it's, I don't know if anything's been done like this before. Yeah, it's, it's su- I am super excited about this. I, uh, last week on the Dueling Review podcast, Matthew and I were talking. I was like, oh, my gosh, Swords of Sorrow comes out next week. Oh, I cannot wait for this event. Uh, just because of Gail Simone, and I, I love a lot of these characters, especially what she's done with Red Sonia, and I've been a big fan of the John Carter and Deja Thoris stuff for years, uh, so I cannot wait to see uh, what's coming down uh, in this in this event. You, as the marketing manager, with your contacts with Diamond, must know how well how well this book is uh, pre-sold. Oh, sure. Yeah. And and it's uh is it is it looking good? Is this looking like um equivalent to things that you guys have done in the past, say with maybe masks or something like that? Uh I would I would definitely say so. Uh the core series is uh I mean people I, for for maybe it's just cuz um people want want to test the waters with uh uh the core series first. Um and mm-hmm. then and spread out to the other things, but the core series is is Got some pretty impressive numbers. I'm not, I'm not necessarily in a position where I can share them, but sure, sure, no, I but, understand. Uh, that. But we're 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 very pleased, and and um, I think that it's you know with that kind of attention on those titles, we're bringing we're bringing a new fan base, a new a new audience to characters that maybe wouldn't have had uh, that kind of attention before. Um, I mean, there's there's certainly much smaller level characters who make appearances, um, and we have we have, we have characters that are not necessarily obscure from in literature, but obscure as far as comics goes. So, so like a person like Irene Adler, who is a major supporting cast member of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Right. Um, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that a it's a logical jump for the uh, Red Sonia fan to suddenly come on board for Irene Adler's uh, appearances in Sherlock Holmes, but it does familiarize people with uh, different, different storylines, different characters. And, and, and our hope is that, uh, that uh, it just generates a lot of buzz with people. And we, we see a lot of people returning to see adventures that they may not have had previously. Yeah. And you had just said that dynamite doesn't shy away from crossovers. And, and speaking of red Sonia, I mean, she's crossed over with, uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man over at Marvel. And of course you've got yeah. <laughs> the, the Conan Red Sonia series, which is really great uh, going on right now. Or did it just wrap up? I forget which. Um, can you kind of explain your philosophy on uh, the company's philosophy on their approach to, to crossovers and, and big events like this? Um, well, I think, you know, we're, we're always trying to, I think we're always trying to pivot and and appeal to any new demographic mm-hmm. and uh and even the, even the, even the groups that you might not necessarily think would well, for instance um upcoming this uh this fall we have an army of darkness vampirella right uh which makes complete sense and mm-hmm. there's a characters that characters that you know there's a fan base for both of those characters and you think you would think that there's a lot of crossover but but uh when you put out a crossover like that, suddenly the numbers go 
goes significantly up because so this even though it's an assumption that there's there's a crossover audience there's really every every brand has its own pool of of uh of fans i think mm-hmm. and and so and of course the people let's say that somebody had been following army of darkness for a while and has maybe gone away from the series or whatever then they see something crossing over with the vampirella they come on back yeah um but we have, I mean, we upcoming this fall, we've got an Aliens versus Vampirella crossover. Mm-hmm, Aliens yeah. has had a long history of, of crossing over with different properties. Right. This is our first, this is our first crossover of a, of a dynamic property with, with, uh, Dark Horse's Aliens title. Yeah. Um, we've done a, a couple of things with, uh, Dark Horse over the, over the past, like, year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and Red Sonia, um, which makes complete sense. Obviously, it's returning the characters to the same universe from where they spe- uh, where they sprang from. Right. Um, but uh, you know, we're 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 open to crossover in most parts storylines that make a lot of sense uh, or characters that make a lot of sense together mm-hmm. um, internally at the company. And we're always, I think, we're always open to the idea of of uh, maybe doing crossovers with other companies as well. I'm sure there's plenty of there's plenty of dialogue at, at the company of, hey, do you think we should cross over with this company's title or, or, or this company's title? So yeah. um, uh, we're open to it. You know, over the last couple of years, you the company, uh, Dynamite, has acquired, you know, The Shadow, uh, a lot of the uh, Golden Age uh, characters that are in public domain, Doc Savage, you've got Red Sonja, Vampirilla, all of these, uh, uh, Green Hornet. Uh, would you consider Dynamite more of a pulp comic company or are you more diverse than that, do you think? That's that's kind of become a a catch-all for dynamite. I think. I think. I think that there is a um, people people do associate us with pulp, and, I, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think we've done some really great stuff with the Shadow and the Spider and Green Hornet and mm-hmm. Zorro and and uh, the Lone Ranger and and titles like that. Um, but um, I, I don't. I, I think that we it's. I mean, we have such an incredibly diverse number of titles that we we put out. We've got we're well represented in horror. We're well well mm-hmm. represented in science fiction. Um, we've we've done independent cr- uh, creator uh, creator voices. Let's say um, Garth Ennis has done projects with right. us. Uh, Andy Diggle, mm-hmm. um, uh, just just people doing their own thing. We have the licensed properties, a lot of TV properties, a lot of old, old pulp things. I mean, we very, very diverse. Oh, Plus yeah. We have a whole library. Of, we have probably, I believe that we have the third largest library of characters actually owned by a company here, wow. at, here at Dynamite. We have, because um, we have the entire Chaos Universe with the exception of Lady Death. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, all the Har- the old Harris Comics Vampirella stuff. Right. Uh, we've bought Pure Can Thunderbolts. We own that character. We own. Uh, we've we've developed our own IP. Um, so we have a huge uh, variety of tales that are that fall under the company ownership. So and then you've uh, also started doing in the series. I really the other and there's so many books that I look every month. And if I said uh, take out the top two, what company do you read the most books from? And it tends to be Dynamite because again you've mentioned all of them: the Lone Ranger, the Shadow, Doc Savage. Uh, Vampirilla, uh, uh, John Carter of Mars, the Lone Ranger, and then I completely forgot that you've got this whole King uh, King Feature Syndicate uh, uh, storyline going on with Flash and yeah. and all of those, and it's just it's wonderful that you guys are very very diverse in your offerings. Yes, 
Yes, and even like even recently, we 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 acquired the rights to Bob's Burgers, for instance. Oh yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Which is a very a very popular Fox uh, animated sitcom mm-hmm. um, on Sunday nights, right 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 alongside like The Simpsons, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, actually that one's that one's actually probably one of my favorite things. One of my favorite convention experiences with Dynamite is uh, when we debuted. Uh, Bob's Burgers at uh, New York Comic Con last year because we had you know if you're talking about the interest in pulp so let's say that skews a little older but uh, we put out a Bob's Burgers comic book and we had such lively young uh, fans come up to our booth and they were just thrilled you could see the energy that they had and that's not to say that we don't have energy from the right, people right. who who follow the other titles but. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that when you when you do diverse comics like that, um, uh, it, you're reaching out to such a, a broad base of, of potential mm-hmm. readers from all walks of life. And mm-hmm. and and um, but yeah, no. I, since you brought up the the King titles, yeah, they they are all fantastic. I mean, they're such classic characters, um, and uh, and the the storylines that we've been putting out have been really really uh, captivating. There's not enough time in the week to read all the books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and then do you do you see then a lot of crossover between like do a does a Bob's Burgers fan come over and look and go oh I know the Dresden Files I'll I'll pick up that book and and read it as well. Do you see a lot of of crossover that way because you're all with the same publisher? Um, we have our our company fans. I think, you know, I, I, before I worked at Dynamite, I worked at Avatar Press, which mm-hmm. is a smaller company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I feel like when I worked at Avatar, their product lines were a lot more in tune. Like, I think it's a little easier for somebody who reads one Avatar title to jump to another Avatar title than mm-hmm. Dynamite because, because we do have such uh, diverse titles but yeah i mean there are we can tell from our like our, our facebook feeds and our in our twitter feeds that there are people who read dynamite almost almost across the board um you know there there are customers who to follow us religiously which is fantastic but again you, you almost have to wonder as a fan like like how how dedicated do they have to be in order to uh to really pick up Dresden Files right. and Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. uh, The Phantom and Red Sonia or whatever. You know, it tales as, as really all over the place. But God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just like as you keep mentioning, I'm like, oh, yeah, you guys published this one too and this one too. And it's you're right, you're so diverse that it's not necessarily just all pulp, although that seems to be, again, a lot of the stuff that I see come up to the front because I'm a big fan of that. And speaking right. of being a big fan of that, H.P. Lovecraft. I'm a huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft. And oh, uh, last month, uh, and I think coming up in a week or so, uh, the new mm-hmm. Reanimator series is going on. Yeah. And uh, that just so happens to be written by you. Yeah. Coincidentally, <laughs> I just happen to be the writer of that series. How how do you go from how do you go from uh, working at Diamond, working at Avatar, working at, at at Dynamite as the marketing manager to becoming comic book uh, writer? How does that work? Well, it's um, it's funny. I I actually I, my career started years ago at Sirius Entertainment, which used to publish Dawn and Poison Elves and Oh yeah, Kiko yeah. and mm-hmm. Scary Godmother. Um, a very small publisher. Um, but at the time, I I, uh, I used to write Poison Elves. Uh, it's kind of a 
Foot and Nose was kind of a cult favorite uh, comic book series for a lot of people. And uh, I kind of used my company connections to get assigned to Poison Elf. And that's, that seems to be my, uh, my, my MO, apparently. <laughs> I, I work at a company, and eventually I, I, I try and get some, uh, some writing gigs out of it. When I worked at uh, Avatar Press, I used to write for Bleeding Cool Magazine and Bleeding oh, Cool yeah. Online. Yeah. So, you know, you, 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 you kind of get, you get what you can have mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as opportunities go. Um, for Reanimator, it was actually, uh, it was me and Mick Brucci, the, the owner of the company, were basically spitballing ideas for what we could do for upcoming projects. And uh, really, I, I had pitched a crossover for uh, the five-week month. And I believe, I believe this, this year, um, uh, February was a five, no, not February, uh, January was a five-week month. And uh, I pitched something that would be like, it would come out in advance of Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. We did for a five week event. We had brought together a bunch of our horror characters: uh, Vampirella, um, uh, Evil Ernie, uh, Alice Cooper. Um, and I, I pitched Reanimator, and I, I can't remember who the other character was. But I said, "What if we did a five week event that that somehow tied into you know led into some kind of horror crossover set in the Bayou?" Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, that project didn't come to pass, but certain germs of it continued on and became uh, the reanimator series, um, which is essentially there's the main story is that the, the reanimator encounters essentially other rivals for his, for, you know, in other evil people. And, and uh, he, I, I could, I describe it as, as uh Herbert or H.P. Lovecraft meets Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because essentially, uh, Herbert West becomes a drug supplier mm-hmm. and then gets involved in the in the drama of of being in the middle of two rival gangs. So, um, and the reason he becomes a drug supplier is because he's 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 dealing zombie brain fluid. Yeah, uh, which yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, I think. Well, so you know, <laughs> a lot of people saw Reanimator, and again, I kind of appreciate publishers that will run like a six issue limited or a four issue limited series and they tell their story and they're done. And maybe right after that, another limited series starts uh, Dresden files kind of does this with each of their, um, each of their sub stories. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not sequentially numbered, but then when you go back and you look at all of the Herbert West stories that have been written at dynamite, his history gets really, really complex from what yes. people may know from an HP Lovecraft story to what happens in, in reanimator one definitely is, is, definitely. is continuity important when you're taking a character like uh, West and, and continuing to tell his tales, do they have to tie on with things that have gone on before in, in the dynamite series? I'm, you know, I am, I myself am a complete continuity freak. So I really want storylines to fit. Mm-hmm. In in with the the and and that's not necessarily a dynamite uh, philosophy. You know, sometimes we have a creator who comes in and says they want to take over a title, and then we're, we're happy to have them come aboard. And, and we say, you know what? Ignore previous continuity. Do whatever you want. We want you to we want you to tell a good story. Um, and in the case of Reanimator, I was really quite happy because I I kind of want to tell a story that was really dedicated to really remains true to 
classic H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I still want to, I mean, it's still a comic book, so it still has some elements of comic booky elements. So there's, I mean, the fact that he's facing other other bad guys, which might all, might as well be called supervillains. Right. Um, uh, you know, still, it's still the comic book medium. But I wanted Herbert West himself to be a, a very, very cold and calculating almost reptilian intelligence, um, uh, which is what I think the, the, the main character in, in, in the classic reanimator tale is like. And so I was very fortunate that even through all the different story arcs that had appeared with, uh, uh, with Herbert West previously at Dynamite, he may have kind of been like a little bit bumbling, a little goofy in his earlier appearances. But just before I took over reanimator, uh, there was an Army of Darkness Reanimator one shot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, Reanimator was thrown back in time um, to the 1920s, the actual era of which the original story took place. And he kind of went a little nutty and became very serious. And yeah. so I was very fortunate that they'd already set that up for me in his previous appearance. Now, I took that and ran with it. Do you need another previous stuff before you read Reanimator, uh, the new series? No. You can no. you can go into a cult. Um yeah. And that's and that's yeah. one of the things that we kind of we kind of talked about uh, when Matthew and I reviewed it was that you know even though there's a big history of this character from the last time we saw him in a Lovecraft book, as long as you kind of know that this is an updated modern day tale of Herbert West, then you're okay and you can and you can go forward with it. I was yeah. I was pleasantly surprised to see some other Lovecraft influence uh, pop up in here, specifically maybe one of the Elder Gods. Uh, maybe playing a bigger part uh, in this tale than what we've seen Wes deal with before. Yes, yes. I think that's one of the... Uh, I I have many goals for, for the series. In fact, when I originally pitched it, I wanted it to be a, a six-issue series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that there was some some hesitation whether or not... You know, Reanimator has always appeared in Dynamite books as a supporting cast member. I, was, I think that there was some hesitation about, well... Should, could he? Could you know? Will the audiences come on come on board, and, and would they be able to sustain it for six issues? So, uh, so I condensed it down to four. Um, but uh, so there's so many different characters that I was going to include, and one of the main focuses that I wanted to do was really pit science-minded Herbert West um, against the Cthulhu mythos, yeah. uh, or, or incorporate him into the overall elder God mythos mm-hmm. that was created by H.P. Lovecraft because in his classic works, they're, they're, they're completely separate. Right. We'll know the Lovecraft myth of the, uh, the, the Cthulhu mythos. They may not necessarily know whether or not reanimator incorporates into it, but it, it doesn't. It's it, reanimator strict science based essentially. Right. Um, and so I really wanted to have this kind of conflict between science and uh, the supernatural. And um, I think people will be pleasantly surprised with, with how uh, Herbert faces something which is almost, you would almost would think is beyond his ken. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, he's just so brilliant. Like, I think that's one of the things I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to when people read the, the third issue in particular, because it's all about how, how intelligent Herbert West is. Like oh, yeah. how yeah, his brilliance is really going to be the thing that uh, saves him from, from whatever. But obviously there may, there may be some consequences, but, uh, but he's just so, he's so brilliant. 
Well, and, and cer- yeah. yeah, certainly coming in with this idea that you, you said from your week five um, event, with it being said in the bayou, which is a, if people who've read Call of Cthulhu know that there's a huge passage that takes place in the, in the bayou uh, where right. they round up this cult, and then if suddenly there's this cult of Cthulhu worshipers there in New Orleans, and, and I think that's really, really clever. And, and I guess the question I have is, are you, are you really familiar with a lot of H.P. Lovecraft stuff, or, or how much research and background do you have with, with Lovecraft and his properties? I've, you know, I have probably read 25% of the Lovecraft stuff mm. that's out there. Yeah, there's a lot um, out there. Yeah, there there is, and and really, I I think that the reason I haven't read any more than that is because I feel like in order to really dedicate yourself to H.P. Lovecraft and, and read any more than twenty five percent, you would have to almost it wouldn't just be reading anymore; it would suddenly be it would be like hardcore research. Like you'd oh, yeah, have yeah, to yeah. try and you would have to try and link all the different elder gods and see how they all inter interact and and. and it's almost too much of a shared universe mm-hmm. for for me. Um, but you know, I've read I've read Rats in the Walls, The Outsider, uh, certainly The Call of Cthulhu, right. um, At the Mountains of Madness. Um, some of these things I've read a number of times. I've, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a pretty substantial audiobook collection, so I I listen to it when I'm driving around. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly, uh, certainly when I was writing this comic, I, I I chose to do I chose to pull a lot of uh, a lot of language right out of the classic Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted I wanted Herbal West, especially, to sound like well, the way that Lovecraft uh, wrote the character. Um, so uh, you, you'll see like, you'll see that there's there's certain phrases that are lifted uh, directly from directly from from uh, the classic the animated tale from from Call of Cthulhu. Um, the different chapter titles of, of there's. Three of the four chapter titles are uh, pulsed directly out of uh, out of Lovecraft wow. as well. I, cool. I I chose to call one Breaking Bad, just or uh, not Breaking Bad, uh, Making Mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. a play on, on Breaking Bad, but everything else is 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 purely uh, taken out of out of out of Lovecraft, like the wonder and the, di- the diabolism. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally something he would say. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm curious. There's a I've listened to some other literary uh, critics of Lovecraft talk about, especially Herbert West as, as maybe one of Lovecraft's attempts at humor because of the way that West always, a lot of times in his stories is just like, well, the body just wasn't fresh enough. Uh, right. And right. Are almost dead pan. Yeah, yeah. 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 Are you going to try to inject? Is that some of that injected into this story as well? Cause that's, that's one line that I cannot wait to see pop up. It's like, well, that body's just not fresh enough yet. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I pulled that that quote or that 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 joke, but I think I think that there's an element of 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 um, that kind of deadpan delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was again I was I was kind of going more for traditional Lovecraft doom and gloom, which is funny right, because right. when the first issue came out, there were people who said, "Yeah, it was pretty funny," and I was like, "Really?" Because <laughs> not necessarily what I was going for, but. If people are pulling that out, you know it's it's funny. It reminds me of um, Garth Ennis. He directed mm-hmm. his own. Uh, he directed a, a film called uh, uh, Stitched, mm-hmm. short film. And uh, I, when I saw it, it looked like a serious. It, it looked like a, it was a drama to me. But then we showed it in front of an audience in San Diego once, and uh, and the audience was laughing. And it was one of those things where. Um, 
it may not even be the intent of the the author. Right. Uh, and, I don't. I don't think. I certainly don't think it was Scott Tennyson's intent to make it to make it comical in any way, but or humorous for this particular movie. But uh, but you know, if if, if audiences pick up something and, and read into things, then more power to them. I mean, that's 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 the way I felt like some of the people who may have picked up Rian Air Number One uh, and commented to me about it. Uh, uh, hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. They're they're chuckling at things that that. Says. I, I would I would love to see you guys take on uh, the thing on the doorstep, which I think is just a horrific and also very twisted tale from Lovecraft. But do you guys does Dynamite have plans to ex- to explore the the world of Lovecraft more than what you have with Reanimator? We have bounced it around a bunch, and I think that part of the idea of in- incorporating Cthulhu into the Reanimator story was kind of to, to open up the door. Um, we're still talking about what to do after Reanimator. There's, there's some, we've had some discussions. Um, uh, but yeah, the idea of, of doing some kind of Elder God-related um, saga of some sort has bounced around the office a bit. Um, now, just try, yeah. Is Lovecraft, is Lovecraft still public domain, or is there some publishing rights issues with, uh, I forget which company it is. Um, not, not comic book, co- uh, company, but right, right, right. Publisher. The, uh, the film company, the mm-hmm. film company that has, see, our, our reanimators is based off of the classic Lovecraft public domain character. Right, right. Um, and, uh, it's, we, we were not affiliated with the, the film. Right. Um, which is the film is, don't, don't get me wrong, the film is, is brilliant. The film is, the film is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and I certainly, I certainly did watch that before I, I read, uh, before I started writing, mm-hmm. uh, this story, but I, I certainly did not let that like influence the, the writing. I, I, I probably read Lovecraft's original tale 50 times over right. <laughs> and watched the Jeffrey Combs movie once, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, the, for the most part, it's public domain character. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is that there's there's certain elements which the the, the film producers would uh, would not want to have featured in any uh, any other interpretation of the character. Right. Um, and which is fine. I mean, if the, I, I'm sure that there's interpretations of uh, of the dynamite character that we wouldn't want to have appear in somebody else's comics or whatever else. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's public domain. All, all, all the H.P. Lovecraft's characters are are all are all out there. So, so that is kind of something kind of important and, and kind of leads into this next area is, you know, a lot of people may be rushing out to pick up the, the reanimator series and go, Oh, Jeffrey Coombs, I cannot wait to see him in this comic. And that's obviously you're not doing anything on model with that, uh, for a lot of variety of reasons, but how do you, what is your process when you're working with an artist, uh, to convey things that you want to look at, or do you just let the artist go crazy based on your script and then see what comes back or, or how is that relationship? Uh, it's uh, Randy Valiente is a very talented artist. Um, I was very fortunate that, that Dynamite paired me with him. He had previously worked with, uh, he previously illustrated the Army of Darkness Reanimator one shot, um, which I mentioned before as the, as the series, the, the, the one shot that made our interpretation of Herbert West into a much more serious character. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was already familiar with how to draw the character, or how he wanted to draw the character. Um, uh, I'm sure that he was probably given instructions not to make him look particularly like Jeffrey Combs. 
Right. Uh, so he, he gave him his own, I think his own look. Um, but, uh, it, it was, you know, I, I, I read the scripts and I don't really have too much interaction with, with Randy, uh, on a personal level. I give him, I, I give the script to dynamite. They forward it on to Randy. He turns in pages. I make notes where I felt, feel that, that a, an artistic choice needs to be changed for the, the, the purpose of actual storytelling. But I, I generally, I generally try and keep away from, from, from dabbling in that because I feel like it's, it's the artists should feel confident in trusting their own abilities to tell the story, unless there's something that they draw completely contradicts uh, a later plot point or something to that effect. Then, mm-hmm. then I give them free reign and, and, uh, and Randy was Randy's art is fantastic. He's very detailed. He's 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 got this, this style that's just perfectly suited for the kind of creepy atmosphere that I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I I I have really enjoyed looking at these pages and finding little things that he's put on the page that I certainly didn't ask for, but have have contributed so much to it. Um, so yeah. very, very cool. So what is your what is your background as far as uh, you know your educational background, your training background? More on the writing side or business side, or is it a marketing a degree? Oh, I uh, I went to uh, I, I went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania for uh, for an English degree, oh, okay. uh, English literature degree, and I was gonna I was on track to be uh, a teacher, but I decided to just follow my my hobby and and the, 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 what I found that what I love to say this is my it's my favorite line is that uh, I've done everything in the comic book industry except for draw comics and own a comic publishing company because I'm not talented enough for the former and I'm not crazy enough <laughs> for the latter. <laughs> but I've done, I like literally I've done practically everything else. I've, I've done uh, graphic design, writing, coloring, uh, lettering. I've been a distributor. I've been a salesperson. I've been marketing. Um, I worked in the book market side of things. Um, I do conventions. I mean, I've, I've done it all. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the, uh, the in a lot in a lot of ways once you've once you get into these companies and you get into an administrative role though I think that it, it's hard to break free of that you know I've, I've certainly talked to a lot of publishers over the years and said hey well, what can I do to to get a writing gig and they're like oh well we, we have writers oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you want to market our book <laughs> yeah so what's what is the secret then of of crossing over then from the administrative side back into the creative side. Um, it, I a lot, guess a lot it, of it begging, all... a lot of, <laughs> Hey, running down the hallway, chasing after the editor and saying, Hey, I got another story. I want to pitch at you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly a delicate thing. Cause you know, I'm the first, I'm the first person who's worked with dynamite who like actually as a staffer who has done something on the writing side. There's been some people who've been able to, to get a, a bit of an art, published through dynamite, but the most, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody else has gotten a writing gig. And so I'm very, very fortunate. And I think, um, I think there was, there was, there was some talk between, between me and, and the owner of the company about it. And we, we kind of hatched out a, a little agreement between the two of us, but I think, you know, that's, you have to be in a company that's, that's open to, to new mm-hmm. ideas. And yeah. I, I think dynamite's one of those places. There's other companies that are certainly, certainly not. They're always going to look for, you know, let's only get a name creator like somebody mm-hmm. who's already established in Marvel or DC, and let let's toss them some work. Um, 
But uh, I, was, I was I was very fortunate that Dynamite was willing to take a take a, a gamble on on Reanimator. Um, I think it's largely because people know the name. It's one of those names that sticks with you, even if you're not a you may not be the biggest Lovecraft fan, but you probably if if you were ever into horror, you probably heard about it. Yeah. Um, maybe just from the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the way I I I was telling someone about how this my first interaction with or my first uh, awareness of Reanimator was when I was a kid. My mom would take me to the supermarket, and I'd always break free of her to go look at the like the the VHS rental section <laughs> yeah. of, of, of the supermarket. And I would like look at this box of, that said Reanimator and it stuck with me because it had a cool name like Terminator or mm-hmm. like Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, those names just resonated throughout the years. It stuck with me. Um, so I always knew when I, when I pitched it to, to Nick, I said, Nick, I think you, you've, you've almost done the character yourself a disservice. I should say by, by uh, only ever using this character as a, as a background character. I think this character can really stand on its own. Um, it's about it's about time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So with with your experience throughout a vast number of co- companies and in, in a lot of different positions, what are the, what are some of the challenges right now facing the comic industry? Oh, wow. Okay, that's a that's a big one. I, um, I know it's you know there's so much draw from from movies and video games and streaming media and all of that kind of stuff. But the beyond that, is there are there other things that are really uh, a major concern going forward? Um, I you know I I I still think it's it's probably something you've certainly heard before. But I mean it's as as acceptable as comics have become. I feel like I feel like every year comic book concepts are becoming more and more mainstream. Whether it be uh, the big films or the fact that you know comic conventions, which used to be you know ninety five percent male uh, fans walking the floor, now it's suddenly it's it's got you've got you've got girls, you've got kids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I feel like. I feel like even as, as as acceptable as comic book culture is, there's still a challenge in getting people to pick up the actual physical books. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the hot... Let's say 10 years ago, you could have put out a comic book and you could have instantly sold, you know, 35,000 comic, right. comics or copies of it. Now... It's it's a it's a different it's a much different playing field. Um, so and, and I think the retailers so I, retailers have, have told me and I've, I've gone to a, num- a number of uh, diamond industry uh, events to hear that the industry itself is doing better. The stores are doing better. Oh, uh, diamond has good. reported. Diamond as a distributor has reported that you know the past couple of years have certainly been up years and their best some of their best years. Um, so the industry seems healthy and strong um, in that respect. Uh, I still think, though, that if you asked most retailers, and like maybe maybe it's an ancillary products that are that are doing well for them. Maybe they get in the statues and they can sell, you know, maybe they can sell a ninety-five dollar statue or a hundred fifty dollar statue, mm-hmm. and that's how they're offsetting, or you know. Uh, uh, really cool urban vinyl toys. Right, or, right, uh, right, right. You know, little, little things. Any number of tie-in products. Maybe that's what's selling more than actual physical comics. But I think retailers, if you ask retailers, they would say that there's, there's, you know, it, it's still a little difficult to get people to pick up individual 
books. If, if, they're, if they're not used to picking them up already, mm-hmm. to pick up a comic and read it now. How, how has um, the digital initiative been for, for Dynamite? Um, we've, we, uh, we, we, we do very well through our, our digital books, uh, our digital platforms. We, we work with, uh, uh, we have our own digital service called Dynamite Digital. Mm-hmm. We go through Comicsology, Iverse, uh, Dark Horse Digital, and a number of other, 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 uh, avenues. But, um, it does well for us. We always find that it's not, there was a fear. There was a fear about five years ago or, or 10 years ago that when digital comics would, would, hit that print would die off. And I think right. I, I I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. I think that we're finding that a lot of people who read the physical comics are are cool with having a, a digital comic to take along with them. Yep. You know, on on their smartphones or on their laptops or whatever. Um so I, I, I found I, I found in our experience we, we found that we don't see necessarily uh, um one is stealing from the other. Uh, we, we've actually done a number of different digital um, promotions and uh, initiatives to to help, um, I think, supply, make it easier for the fans of our print books to even get digital stuff from us. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting concept. I think we've actually tried to even create comics that were created. Specifically for the digital, right? Uh, because the technology is just advancing to the point where you can make mini movies out of comic books, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is difficult. If you look at if you look at a comic that exists already that wasn't made for a digital thing, a digital platform, if you if you try to cycle from panel to panel, sometimes it's it's not necessarily intuitive. Yeah. But uh, but now you. When you have that in mind, um, you can create some pretty amazing digital effects. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Marvel has done that uh, very well, and DC has attempted it with some of their digital only ones, and how they they work with the format of the screen uh, to to lay out their panels and everything. I work, I think, works really well. And right. so, yeah, I think there's some still some positive things that need to be explored. Of course, Mark Mark Wade has done some some interesting things with Thrillbent. Um, sure, but uh, yeah. So I just I didn't know though if if you know, this is something that continues to be a positive growth area for publishers, or if this is plateaued, or you know what, you know where digital comics factor into the overall comic readership. I, I think from an overall industry standpoint, from what I've heard from uh, from different sources, at you know, obviously with my dynamic experience, but also I know a lot of I'm. I'm very well connected to a lot of diff- different other publishers. We all, we've all come to the conclusion that it's, it, it's digital is, is actually really good for the print industry. Good. Uh, so, yeah. Good, good. And, and yeah, anything else that you want to, that you uh, think we ought to touch on? I mean, reanimator issue number two of four comes out next week, May 13th is what it, what I'm showing here. That's and, correct. And I really enjoyed the first issue. Can't read to uh, wait to read issue two. In fact, I think our, Electronic uh, review copy just came in today, so uh, right. I can't I can't wait to uh, crack it open and see what's inside. But anything else you want to share with our listeners? Well, I think I've I think I've uh, exhausted topics, <laughs> <laughs> but I but you know in, in general uh, I'd like to thank you for 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 having me on the show, and I'd oh, like no to problem. thank all your all of your all of your listeners for uh, for tuning in. Um, I, I I was I was thrilled when I uh, heard your review of my uh, Reanimator number one. Um, the other day and, and, and just thrilled to be, to be, uh, 
to be invited here. So thank you very much. Well, Keith, keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you. I want to thank uh, Keith Davidson for taking the time to uh, chat with us. As, as I said at the beginning of the interview, he's a very busy guy on Tuesdays, uh, but I'm glad he was able to take a few moments out uh, and, uh, and chat with us today. Swords of Sorrow comes out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. So much coming out from Dynamite Entertainment. You're going to want to check that out. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Matthew, for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. And thank you, listeners, for everything that you do with Majorspoilers.com. Uh, head over to iTunes. Share some of those fabulous five-star reviews that you've been uh, been uh, putting up there. And uh, thank you, everyone, who's a Major Spoilers a VIP. Next week, I think we're doing a general topic uh, next week. So if you have some ideas that you want us to uh, talk about, just drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And until next time, keep reading comics because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.